Welcome everybody to this episode of In the Lamplight, the last in our mini-series where we interview each other. That theme tune you heard was the latest in our series of new theme music where we put a little twist on our original theme music from season one. That was put together by Luke, a swing jazz version of our theme. And speaking of Luke, it's your turn to be in the hot seat today, Mr. Woo! Devaney. Yay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you may have thought you were being cute and being smart by going last and letting us take the heat for the first two weeks. But in fact, what that means is any gripes that Rory and I hold after the last couple of weeks, after the, the dodgy questions you put to us, <laughs> means that it's now our turn to take our revenge. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, hold on. I want to actually, I want to offer up one correction there. The reason that I went last is because I'm selfless, right? Uh, <laughs> that's why I went last. I, I, I let Rory go first because Rory had been behind the camera a lot in, in season one. I'd been playing instruments. I'd been on videos and, and stuff. And so I thought it was well, do you know a what, nice Luke? thing to let Rory Around go first. Around this time of the show last week, you cut me off. So I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> I'm going to cut you off right now with any explanation you may be trying to offer up. Oh, touche. Fabulous. (laughs) And look, without further ado, we've actually got a lot to get through tonight, Rory. Me and you have been talking a lot over the last few days about this. Absolutely. And we have a lot to get through. So we're going to go straight into the episode. Um, We don't actually have a poem for Luke, unfortunately. But we do have a song. Yes, we did. We went the extra mile for Luke. <laughs> okay. And so we enlisted the help of a friend of the show, famous Dave Flynn. Oh. Uh, and between myself and Dave, we put together this version of uh, Jumbo Breakfast Roll, <laughs> <laughs> but tailored towards uh, the subject of today's interview, Mr. Luke Devaney. And uh, with words, I guess we'll explain it afterwards. Let's oh. just hear the song now. Well, I wake up in the morning and I'm always mad to go Down behind the petrol station and straight to my studio And although I love my music, I really hate to say That of all the instruments around, there's just one I can't play (laughs) I play banjo, dobro, electric, acoustic guitar and the tambourine The bass harmonica, keys and melodica, the drums and the mandolin And I dance and I sing and do many other things even though I'm just 17 but folks, I beseech you, will anyone teach me to play the violin? <laughs> it's got four strings like a banjo, so I thought I'd get the knack. But if I was to play it at a gig one day, well, you'd want your money back. And I'd throw some shapes while I scratch and scrape, but I make an awful din. I could be good, I swear, but I do despair about this violin. 
I play banjo, dobro, electric, acoustic, guitar and the tambourine Bass, harmonica, keys and melodica, the drums and the mandoline And I dance and sing and do many other things even though I'm just 17 But folks, I beseech you, will anyone teach me to play the violin? I play banjo, dobro, electric, acoustic, guitar and the tambourine the bass harmonica, the keys and melodica, drums and the mandolin And I dance and I sing and do many other things even though I'm just 17 But folks I beseech you, will anyone teach me? Don't impeach me, I sound so screechy! Folks I beseech you, will anyone teach me to play the violin? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh my god, that is no excellent. <laughs> And I'm only 17. <laughs> well, wow. Yeah, you do have a bit of a baby face, Luke. <laughs> only four years since I played Oliver in that show at Rory, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You're wow. some boy, you're some boy playing all these instruments. That is and amazing. That is the amount of work that went into that. Wow. I, I was I, I was involved with that very early on, but then, you know, like, well, not involved. Kieran had said he had this idea for your, for your song, you know, and I thought, class, and he sent me over his rough, kind of idea for it. I thought that's going to be deadly. And then like like yesterday or today, he sent me over that full version. I just thought this is outrageously <laughs> good. Like they went above and beyond the two well, boys. Whose idea was Jumbo Breakfast Roll? Uh, was that yours, Kieran? It was, yeah. I was, I, was, uh, I was in bed one night last week and I was thinking about this and I said to Sinead, I said, right, we're going to do a song for Luke and we're going to, instead of like the, the rashers and the sausages and the bacon and the, and the pudding, one black, one white, we're going to throw <laughs> in all the instruments he plays. And that's, that's where the, literally, that's where the idea started. And then it was, right, okay, what's the, wee, what's the wee twist at the end? And I thought, right, let's get the violin in here because in fairness <laughs> to you, Luke, you play a ton of instruments, but we, we have had a bit of slag in recent Recently, that you, that the violin is not one of them, not yeah, yet. No, anyway, it's for the midlife crisis. It's for when I, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I just hit fifty, and I have a, a kind of a, a year or two of existential despair, kind of wondering what I'm doing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn to play the violin. Yeah, um, I have a plan. You think you're so clever now, but you've backed yourself into a corner because every guest that comes on now is going to want a song, and I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna make you write them all. <laughs> just for you, Luke. You're that special to us, man. But actually, would you believe the 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 very first instrument you learned was not mentioned in that song. Wow, you're right. So, Luke, uh, you picked up an accordion at the age of four. Am I right? Correct, yeah. I think, well, if you were actually to go for the first time I ever picked up an accordion, it was before that because there were button accordions in, I think, the attics of both of my grandparents. And they ended up in our house just because... As a four-year-old child, I had this mad fascination with accordions. Perfectly normal thing for a four-year-old child to, <laughs> yeah. to be obsessing over. Um, the first time I picked up a piano accordion uh, was four. And the button, the, the poor button accordions were only like a stopgap. It was just, it was almost like the piano accordion, which is what I was really interested in. And, and why were you interested in the piano accordion? Like? It... The, the straight and honest answer is that it came from Foster and Allen. Uh, that, that's where it came from. I, when, I was, when I was that age, my mum, and she still does to this day, works incredibly hard, but, but she has a job that requires overnights. And my dad at the time was working a job that every second week he would be on a shift that brought him home at 12 o'clock at night. So... My grandparents live right next door to me. Uh, my grandparents on my mum's side. Um, and 
I would be babysat down there and I would stay down there, you know, quite a mm. lot. Yeah. And they just, you know, it was at the time, what was it, Northwest Radio? It was like yeah, before yeah. Ocean FM. Yeah. And they'd 102.5. Be, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'd be listening to that and... Um, that was the kind of music they were into and they had lots of cassettes cassettes remember them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um they they just had a lot of cassettes and and a lot of them were Foster and Allen and I suppose it was just from being in that environment and hearing that I I don't know I just took a liking to it and then I remembered that Foster and Allen in and around that time had their own TV show. It was just, you know, some of their music videos and stuff. It was on RTE and yeah. just that, I suppose that was then I was actually seeing it as well. And I don't know, I, I honestly couldn't tell you what it was. I just took a fascination with the accordion and I think I just looked at it and kind of said, I can do that. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that, that's literally it. I don't that know. You did, you did that at four. Four. You looked at it and went, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, for anyone, for anyone worrying about poor Luke, I do have it on good authority that he was into diggers and tractors as well. <laughs> it wasn't just piano accordion. But, but yeah, as Rory says, Luke, you started figuring out the tunes that, that, that Mick Foster was playing on the accordion at the yeah. age of four. Yeah. Like, that's pretty incredible. I'd spend a lot of time just standing in front of the TV because we recorded, you know, the the shows onto videotapes. Yeah, pirated them off directly off RTE, and <laughs> uh, and I'd I'd, re- I'd rewind them and repeat them over and over. And it wasn't that you could watch his fingers because the videos were all they weren't performance videos; they were music videos. You know, there were little stories and stuff in the videos. So half the time you weren't even watching. Uh, Mick Foster playing an accordion, but um, but I was picking up the tunes and and learning how to play these tunes. But it was by ear, you know. I I was just listening to the tunes and figuring out, oh, well, that's that note, and 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 I started just picking tunes out by ear, um, which is the, how I, I suppose I kind of taught myself. I did go to lessons and stuff, as well, but I was always just just picking stuff out by ear and playing for fun at home. Class, man. That's amazing. Like I, I was all proud of myself at the age of sixteen, picking out the four notes of, of, <laughs> of the bass line from with or without you last week. And Luke, you come in, blow me out of the water. The age of four, you're learning proper tunes yeah. from the telly. I, I remember the first, the first thing that I ever really taught myself that I was really proud of is like I figured this out from start to finish, and I had it was a waltz called June Clover, and I can still remember. I haven't played it. I, I'd say I haven't played it in 15 years, but I can still remember the melody uh, and I still remember the name of it because it just stuck in my head as that was the first time that I had taken something from start to finish myself by ear and really gone, okay, yeah, I'm getting the hang of this now. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. You went to see Foster and Allen a few times. It wasn't just the telly, is that right? You, you, yeah. You, you got to see them gig a few times. We, we, we would always go when they were kind of in the area. My granny, again, my grandparents who live next door to me, they would bring me quite a lot when they were here, if they were in the Hawkswell, or they used to do up in, um, in the uh, Great Northern in Bundoran quite a lot while they were in the area as well. So anytime mm-hmm. they were coming through, we would, um, we would go and I kind of got, got to know them a little bit. Like, I, I don't really remember all of this firsthand. I remember it from things that other people tell me and stuff, but they'd get me sure. to bring, bring the accordion and, and you know, they'd trot me out and make me play the accordion in front of them and stuff, which now when I think back of it, I'm fucking mortified of. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely the holy mortification of it, you know, trotting up this six year. And but at the same time, I honestly couldn't say that I ever had pushy parents or anything like that either. I was never forced to to do that. I, I'm sure that as a child I wanted to, do, I just don't remember. Right. So you're 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 learning tunes from the telly. You're going to a few lessons, as you say. What about what about the next step? So even you know, learning melody is one thing. Uh, learning chords then is another thing. Do you remember, you know, where that started for you, or what sort of age you were when when that started to kick in for you? Um, I remember figuring out left hand on the accordion was where I started to kind of be aware that the the melody that I'm playing over here with my right hand, there's something else that goes on over here yeah. with with this hand. And um, to be honest, as far back as I remember being able to pick out a melody by ear and play it with my right hand, I remember being able to tell what sounded right and wrong along with it with my left hand as well. I, that it wasn't. I wasn't playing as much left hand, but I remember being able to play a G on the right hand and find the G bass note on the left hand and go. Yeah, they sound right together. And then being able to put a B on my right hand along with the G and go. That still all sounds okay together. Um, but I think it was probably a good long time after that, a good couple of years before I actually knew what a chord was and any of the the sense behind. That I think it was, it was a guy called Seamus Sweeney uh, teaching me accordion at the time, and he put me in a group of Kjol, which is like it's a it's um it's an Irish music group. It's not like a Cayley band. There's a bit more to it. You do arrangements of songs and instruments come in and out, and you go from yeah. one tune to the next. And um, we were competing in the Flower one year, and he had me play chords on the accordion. So I think that was the first time that somebody had ever said to me there's this thing called a chord and show me what it was. And then I put that together with, oh, I kind of know a bit of that already, but now I know what it's called. And he taught me more. Um, so I think that's where that came from. But chords, like, because I all I ever played was traditional music up until I was, I'd say, 11. Yeah. And chords really don't, when you're learning tunes on an accordion, chords don't really yeah. factor into it. It's just yeah. not a thing, you know? Okay, so so this is pretty precocious stuff I would imagine you know uh, you know I have two kids myself they've grow, grown up in a musical household but neither of them were picking out chords or, or or melodies at the age of four you know it's pretty amazing stuff have you any idea how you got to that stage or is it just you know the way your brain is wired was there anything your parents did or exposed you to do you think that that led to this I, I honestly have no idea. It's really interesting to think about and it ties into what we, we spoke about last week with, with you that, you know, even having kind of gone through that, I still don't like believe that you can be born with musical talent or I still think there, there, there has to be, at some point there's a level playing field and I don't believe that level playing field exists just before you were born, but not after you're born. That doesn't make sense to me. I think you have to be able to, to, to learn this or want to learn it or open yourself up to it. I, I obviously on some level just did that really early. I don't know why, or I don't even know how, like I, the, you're, it's actually nearly a question I can't really answer because I was just always, you were just so young. Yeah. I was just so young, you know? Yeah. yeah. But you, you think that, 
you think that it, it wasn't any na- any sort of natural talent? That- well, I mean, I, I like talent is a strange thing because you can teach a lot of the stuff that I remember being able to do back then. And I guarantee you, like, although I could do all that back then, I'll right now point you to accordion players and guitarists that are twice as good as me, three times as good as me at playing the actual instrument. So being able to do that back then hasn't really had any bearing on where I've ended up skill level wise on the instrument or any of the instruments I play. I actually think it's probably had a detrimental effect in the long run because I wasn't anywhere near as motivated to work hard as a child and practice because everything came so easy to me and I run rings around a lot of people my age that I played with. But I think they were probably motivated to work harder than me and I came a point where I I think a lot of them actually just passed me out because being able to just do it so naturally only could take me so far. Then I had to dig in and practice and I hated practicing. I was so bad at (laughs) digging in and practicing. I was really, really awful at it. Luke, I've I've often... I've heard you say something about this before, but I, I don't know uh, like w- w- when I heard you saying it, and I don't even know if it's true. I could be totally lying right now, but I don't think I am. Would you ask are me you, and I'll tell you if you're yeah, lying or not? This, this totally, this could be horseshit. Like, are you able to do the thing where, where you, you know, like if I say sing a middle C and you can sing a middle C, are you able to do that thing? Uh, I can't straight off the bat. I don't have perfect pitch straight off the bat. What I can do, there's a couple of notes in my voice yeah. where where I kind of know what it feels like to sing it in a very particular place in my voice. And sometimes I can get it right that I can pitch that in my voice and, and then work up in semitones or work down in semitones or whatever and figure out what, what note you've, you've, you've just sung. But I wouldn't, oh. be, I wouldn't be confident at it and I definitely don't have perfect pitch, much as I'd love to. I, I wanted to. What I wanted to happen there was for you to go, yeah, and then for me to go, sing a middle C <laughs> and then Karen, are you beside your piano there? Play it, we'll see if you're right. <laughs> <laughs> give, it a, give it a go and let's see how far, far uh, how out I get. Sing us a middle C, Luke. No, no, you have to, I, I can't sing the middle, so you have to give me the note and I, I have to try and guess what it is. And oh, really? It, right. And get it completely arse ways. Go on. Uh, can you hear this? Yeah, I can, I can. Okay, so I'm going to play a random note and you're going to tell me what it is. I'm going to try. I'm going to prove that I don't have perfect pitch. I'm going to prove that Rory's story is horse shit. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm going to have to make some noises now to get this. <laughs> go on, right? go on, go on. You've given me... Yeah. Wait now. Give me the note again. That's the note. I'm not playing it again. I've played it twice already. Is it a D? Very close. Very close. What was it? E flat. Wow. Okay. Oh, not so, like, not so bad. Not, not so, so bad, bad at all. Not so not, bad. Got, I was scared of the this, deadly little trick. This might be a test we 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 give to everybody who comes on the show. <laughs> and if they fail, they're not allowed to do their interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Right, Luke. Let's bring you back just to those days, and you know, you were obviously a, a talented young fella, um, but you weren't. You weren't shy about it. Uh, well, look, I'm not. I'm not going to be unfair to you, but you know, I'm not saying it was you that wanted to play here and play there. But you played a lot of venues. 
Like and you and you you got up in front of crowds and you you had quite a, a fan club of of older older ladies from what I hear back <laughs> back in those days. Uh, bring us up, bring up, bring up Luke to sing us a song. There's a story about in the Hollywood Hotel one time uh, where Brendan Shine didn't show up and there was a a big gang waiting to hear uh, you know a concert and so the the promoter at the time picked a few people from the audience, including yourself, to come up and entertain no entertain the masses. Is that what <laughs> happened? I mean, there were certainly. I remember being up there, and I think we have a picture somewhere of this. Like, like, but but what actually Brilliant. happened in the end was they put me. Brendan Shine had like a weekly slot where he was the head of the bill. Yeah, and um, maybe there was one night he couldn't make it or something. I don't know, but there was a couple of people on the bill. But after whatever happened, I got up and sang down there one night. I think I was five at this stage. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more. I think this was this was before I was playing in a chord or anything like that. I was just singing, but huh? then they, they put me on the bill, and I'd I'd go down once a week and do this thing for a couple of weeks in 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 the summer, um, as far as I remember. And my name was on the the chalkboard out, outside and everything. Huh? Yeah, strange again. You know, perfectly normal things for a child to be doing. Like, but um, totally not. It's like I I started hearing some of these stories, man, and I was like, this is out. Outrageous! Yeah. <laughs> like, I've, I've, like I thought we'd uncover something, but like a child musical prodigy wasn't one of them. Yeah. And it's great, like, yeah. and it wasn't just the Hollywood, Luke. You'd, you'd travel for, travel around with your grandparents, going to different venues, getting up and playing tunes. Is that right? I definitely got around, and <laughs> a lot of that really is down to my my granddad uh, Joe, my mom, my mom's father. Like he, yeah. the miles put on his car ferrying me around the country to play at concerts and not not just concerts but feshes and, and flas and things like if there was somewhere I needed to go he was there even if um, mum or dad were available to bring me chances are he was still there um, I think he liked it um, and obviously there's you know there's pride as well but everybody thinks their own geese or swans but mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but he 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 I, I will never, ever be able to repay him for, for, for what he gave me, the support he gave me as a child. And it's something that I would be eternally grateful for. But yeah, we got um, we got to a lot of places, you know, the kind of variety concert halls in, in, in parish halls and, you know, fundraising concerts and that kind of thing. And um, I suppose there was a novelty to it. Here's a cute child. You can try it out on the stage and he'll sing songs and play an accordion that's bigger than him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there was like, there was a couple of times I did it in a leprechaun outfit and everything. Ah, um, just dressed as a little leprechaun. <laughs> just, pe- just eyes looking out over the top of the accordion. <laughs> um, so, there was, yeah, there was a novelty to it. But yeah, we definitely got around. I did that for a long time. So, Rory, you'll be glad to hear that you know, not only was Luke a gigging uh, child, you know, a, a child that went touring the country gigging at the age of five or six, uh, but he was also a recording artist. <laughs> so, so Luke Devaney at the age of six no way. recorded a CD, yes. folks. Uh, I have it here and we will put a picture of the front cover. Do you have a hard copy of it? I have a hard copy of the CD. Yeah, Unreal. Luke Devaney. There's no title on the album, but uh, we have Luke Devaney's name. And we have a, a very cute picture of a smiling six-year-old Luke Devaney, which we'll have to put up uh, on the on, on our subscribers' email this week. And we have a CD inside. 
with tunes <laughs> such as Phil the Fluter, Little Beggar Man, I'll Tell Me Ma, Star of the County Down, Red Haired Mary. We have the whole <laughs> shebang, lads. And do you know what's lovely, Luke? You have a song for Pappy, for Granny, for Daddy, for Mum, for Granddad Joe, and for Granny Esther. Mm. You know, it's lovely. It, that was, these everybody's, songs- it was everybody's, well, favourite songs. I don't know, but everybody got a dedication, yeah. And and the we the we see the we text on the CD, Rory. My name is Luke. I am six years old. I like to sing and play the accordion. This is my first CD, and on it, I sing some of my favorite songs and play some tunes. There you go. Unreal. <laughs> How many tunes are on it, Karen? Wow. Twelve. Yeah. And Luke, I haven't. I have Listen to that CD, let alone seen it in God knows how long. And there's going to definitely have to be an inquest held into how you got that hard copy of that CD. <laughs> it's on, it's on sale in the too, record room. That's too far. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Class. it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right not to play a song from 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 the, from the album, Rory. I think at this stage. So I think you're dead. Luke, right. have you a request? Uh, anything there you'd like to hear yourself after all these oh, years? Well, give me the t- give me the track list again. Give me call, call me out some of them tracks. <clears throat> got red haired Mary, Phil the Fluter, Little Beggarman, Daddy's Girl, My Old Sligo Home, Because of You, Star of the County Down, Kerry Polka's Rattlin' Bog, I'll Tell Me Ma One, I'll Tell Me Ma Two, and Mushine Durkin. Wow. Um, do we want to go for something that has singing on it or something that's a tune? Singing. Has to have some oh, singing. singing. Shite. And <laughs> I was hoping there that I'd just be able to, I'd be able to steer it towards a tune and, and minimise the embarrassment. No, definitely um, singing. Oh, track number one. Let's do Red Haired Mary. Red Haired Mary by six-year-old Luke Devaney. Here we go. Hi, everybody. At this point in the show, what was supposed to happen was that Kieran and Rory were supposed to segue smoothly into playing me a clip of my six-year-old self singing a song for their entertainment and my embarrassment. What actually happened was this. Red Haired Mary by six-year-old Luke Devaney. Here we go. Now, Luke, can you burn a track from a CD and play it for us on the show? <laughs> I, lo- I love that. <laughs> oh my God. If not, I'll, I'll organise it, don't worry. But I just thought you, you yeah, can. Uh, hopefully you did. I presume you got that from our house. I got it from from from, from North County Sligo. Yeah, uh, hopefully yeah. you, you might have got the only copy from North County Sligo, so I might have to get it back before I can sure. burn something <laughs> off it. That's no, hilarious. No oh my God, that is so funny. So there you have it. There are a lot of things that 590 points in the Leaving Cert can get you, but clearly the ability to rip audio off a CD is not one of them. So we now return to your regularly scheduled lamplighting, where Kieran and Rory play me a clip of my six-year-old self singing by holding Kieran's laptop mic close to his CD player, much like you might have held a phone close to the radio to play a new song for somebody in the 80s. While going to the fair in Dingo One fine morning, last July While going down the road before me A 
pretty girl I chanced to spy. I went up to her, since I fair maiden, my owlass can carry too. Well, singing as you've got the donkey to the jingle fair, I'll ride with you. But when we reached the town of Dingle, sure I took her hand to say goodbye. When the tinker man stepped up beside me, and he belted me in my left eye, singing, Take and look with her, baby, and I had to be Tonight I lie in the marriage bed. <laughs> singing all these things like and not a clue what half of this stuff even meant. <laughs> and even if you go and listen to, ha- like I was picking all these, this was before you could look up lyrics on Google or anything. I was picking all these lyrics up again by listening and just making half them up. Maybe all the lyrics were all wrong. <laughs> Turn it off, Jess. Turn it off. Uh, un- oh. That's unreal, man. That's unreal. <laughs> oh. oh, man, that's a blast from the past. And again, I wasn't forced to do any of that. Like that was, I was a willing participant in, in, in all of that. It wasn't my ideas, but yeah, I never had to be dragged into anything. Luke, that was that was brilliant, man. But where where did you go to record that? Like. <laughs> It was, the, there's a guy called Kevin Conlon who's still around and Kevin's a great musician in his own right and now he, he runs Garavogue Guitars. He's a, he's a luthier now and um, he builds and repairs acoustic instruments out in Cluny. Um, or he was in Cluny. He might have moved uh, since then. But he had a recording studio at the time uh, out in Cluny called Rainbow Recording Studios. Oh, um, I remember Rainbow Recording Studios. Yeah, that, was, cool. that was where that was done. Yeah. Deadly, deadly, man. That's awesome. <laughs> hilarious but in all the best possible ways you know what i mean like it's well, class man <laughs> absolutely tonight i lie in the marriage bed i love the way you, you I was about, look at i was a very advanced six-year-old you know? <laughs> brilliant oh it's very good i love when it kicks in you know when when you start off slow yeah the arrangements and all luke you start off slow and then you can hear the voice getting excited and we're getting all, moving uh, now lads <laughs> all, all of the arrangements shamefully robbed from uh foster and alan Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, let's move on from <laughs> from, six year, from six-year-old Luke. But I just thought, look, I mean, it was just such an, such an amazing childhood that I thought we had to spend some time on it. You did mention earlier, Luke, that uh, you'd never played any other instrument until the age of 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that because... The piano accordion stops being cool around the age of eleven, <laughs> or 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 what led you to what led you to try other instruments? Right, I'm going to just set it. I'm going to set the record straight on that. First of all, the <laughs> piano accordion never ever stops being cool. Oh, right? good, 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 good. <laughs> okay, um, right. I don't think so. Uh, I think it was it was it was more that 
it wasn't so much the piano accordion stopped being cool. It's just that other things started to be cool, if that makes sense. You know, I was hitting 11, 12 in school. People were listening to uh, ACDC, Rory Gallagher, that kind of thing. And I think as much to 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 want to fit in as, as because I actually liked the music, I started listening to this music as well and growing my hair long and going through that kind of, you know, that, teenage phase. I think a lot of people go through that. Um, so I, my uncle uh, had left a guitar <clears throat> in um, my grandparents' house next door, an electric guitar, and I got that and I started messing around on that. And that was, that was where guitar came into it. Um, and I was still very much playing accordion and kind of competing at flas and, and, and stuff at that time. Uh, but guitar came into it then and guitar was a, a self-taught thing and just something that I enjoyed and wanted okay, to do. Okay, so if you if you were if you were watching videos of Mick Foster to learn the accordion, wh- who were you listening to or who were you watching to learn the guitar? It wasn't watching anyway um, <clears throat> because I didn't have anything to watch. Like this was still all, like we didn't have a broadband connection in our house at this point and YouTube was barely a thing. Like, so I was just listening to CDs. You remember you used to get CDs free in the paper? Yeah. yeah, you know, right, yeah. <laughs> So I used to have like just compilation rock CDs that came out of the paper or a couple of CDs that my uncle Joseph gave me or, or things like that. I was just listening to stuff and again, picking out chords. My uncle showed me a few chords. There was a book lying around with a few chords and it just kind of, it just went on from, from there. Um, okay. And then I started getting DVDs and stuff and you'd be pausing, trying to look at where Angus Young's fingers were and, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. But that was it really. It was still mostly just by ear and don't, yeah, that kind of sounds half right. Okay, well, wh- okay, so it's accordion, then it's guitar. And, you know, as we sort of joked about in the song earlier, you know, the, we mentioned probably 12, 15 instruments, but but that's, it's a joke and it's not a joke because you do literally play that many instruments. And so, and so can you just explain how that happens, Luke? I mean, okay, some of them are similar. They're stringed instruments and uh, they're similar, uh, you know, shapes will make a same chord. But there's also the drums and there's the piano and, you know, there's, there's lots of other stuff you play that isn't necessarily linked to a guitar. How, how, how does all this happen? Um, well, it was just accordion and guitar right up until I think 18, like banjo, mandolins, uh, actually drums happened at about 13, but banjos and mandolins and, and harmonicas and and bass and pretty much all the other stuff happened after 18, if not after 20. Those right. are all fairly recent developments, but they all are like, there's a lot of similarity between the guitar and a lot of things that I play. And there's a big similarity between the right hand of the accordion and a piano, sure. you know? So it's not... Um, there were never any huge departures, which is why I can't play the feckin' violin. (laughs) 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 But um, I think a lot of going down the road of playing lots of instruments was, a lot of that was tied into my interests in production and and sitting at home recording myself because I did a lot of that as a hobby. I started tipping away recording myself when I was about 13 or 14. And I think a lot of... um, my interest in in having other instruments at my disposal was just it's more things I can record and it's more layers I can I can put on things. Um, How does a 13, 14 year old without an internet signal start tipping away at recording himself? Uh, I went to a recording studio on my 
13th birthday. You don't have that CD, you feckers. Uh, <laughs> I went to a recording well. studio no, <laughs> on my 13th birthday and it was the first time I had been in a studio since I was, I did that that one that you just played when I was six and then myself and my cousin who played fiddle did another bit in Rainbow when I was eight. But it was my first time being in the studio again at 13 since then. And I was just a lot more aware. I was looking at the technology and uh, I was recording, I think I did a Queen song that day and a status quo song. So I was looking at drums being programmed and, and the guy that was in the studio playing keyboards and I was just, my eyes were a lot more open to it and I just thought, well, this is really cool. Hmm. And um, a couple of couple of months after that, I saw on the shelf in PC World in town, which was probably fairly new at the time, it was Acid, Sony Acid Pro 7 recording software or whatever. And I saved up for that and I bought it and it was a CD that you could just install, put into your computer and it installed recording software and, you know, stick in a, um, remember people used to buy those stereos uh, it was like a silver thing and it had the full deck in the middle with the tapes down the bottom oh, and, yeah. the, ta- and yeah. the speakers you know I think every household had one of them at some stage and then you could get a cheap microphone that you could stick into the little mic slot in front of it to do karaoke whenever yeah. you had had a few glasses of wine you know <laughs> um, like literally just getting a cheap mic like that and sticking it into the mic input on the back of the computer and I started uh, tipping away recording um, at home and layering myself over myself Okay. <laughs> for company um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's how I fell into that and that just developed then over the years got better gear got better at it same as practicing an instrument really just developing my skill at that just by doing yeah, by doing yeah yeah. okay look let's let, we'll come back to music um, in the third part of the interview but I want to just leave it for a sec because you, I mean you're you're a very talented actor also Luke I mean, I've seen you, I never saw the famous Oliver that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, but I did see you as Fagan in Oliver a couple of years ago, and I thought you were brilliant in that. You know, we slagged you at the very first episode of this of this podcast for being an Ames Award winner, but you, you are an Ames Award winner, which, as far as I know, seems to be a pretty significant achievement. Um, were you big into speech and drama? Were you, you know, on stage acting, acting in shows from a young age as well? Or how did all that come about? So here's here's what happened there. When I was four, five, six, as you know, we've just talked about a while ago and doing the singing thing and the accordion thing and everything, I also had a bit of a lisp. All right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, sausages kind of a yeah. thing. Um, so mum sent me to speech and drama elocution to just try and work on that and, and get rid of the lisp. Yeah. Um, so I went to Theatre Playhouse, I went to Irene Fleming, speech and drama, and I kept going until I was 18. I, I found, I found it, you know, a, a joy in that as well. And um, that was something I really enjoyed acting, performing. I don't really differentiate between different types of performing. I think I enjoy it all, like mm. m- music or acting or or anything, really. I, I get a buzz out of performing. Um, so I suppose that's why I latched on to the speech and drama as well. Um, and the speech and drama, then you do the fair sheet year and you do plays on the stage. But then that fed into 
doing musicals like with, with Mary McDonough and doing school shows and stuff and then going off to college and being heavily heavily involved in the drama society I, I didn't go to college for college I did I did three years of, of drama society it was really what I did when I was in college <laughs> I'd say if I I'd say if I went to 15% of the thing the lectures that I was supposed to go to in college that would be a fair estimate sorry mum and what what was it about the drama society that, that in, in college it, it was just like that's you know, I think you spoke about it a little bit last week, like that, you know, when you get a chance to go somewhere after school where people don't know you and they take you at face value, you get a chance to just have a little bit of a fresh start and not not really reinvent yourself because I don't think that's the right word, but you get the chance to be the person that you want to be then. I think the whole way through school, even when you get to sixth year, no matter how much you've changed since you were in first year, people still look at you the same way as they did when they met you in first year because that's the impression that you made and sure. and, the, and the changes in people's characters just happen too slowly to have enough of an impact to overcome that first impression. But you get off to college and nobody knows you and I just settled into myself in a way that I, I hadn't in, in my life previous to that and a big part of that was just falling into the drama society and finding a lot of kind of kindred souls uh, who were into the same things that I was and I remember just um, like like you just find with the sport just finding a real sense of camaraderie and belonging in that so I, I fell into the drama society and didn't fall out of it you know for the three four years that I was there. That it confused me to no end because you, when you went to college, you did English or something, wasn't it? I did music technology and English. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Of course. Music technology and English. But every time I spoke to you for like a good solid year beforehand, anytime you mentioned college, it was all like, oh, yeah, when I was in college and we were on the, you know, we'd be on the stage setting up park hands and you talk to me through the light. <laughs> I was like, what did this guy actually study? Because he hasn't yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah. anything like that. He's only mentioned. <laughs> The technical aspects of theatre, you know, so. But there was a huge amount, like, I remember listening to Philip Nolan, who was, who was the president of the college. Uh, he gave a, a speech one time at something and he said, the, the, the worst kept secret of college is that the stuff you learn from societies and the social experiences that you have, it's every bit as much an education as what you might go to college to study. And definitely in the case of the Drama Society, that was absolutely the case because four years of messing around with the Drama Society, I say messing around, but four years of doing that means that that when we go into the Hawkswell now, I know how to operate the lighting board as well or how to rig uh, a profile or stuff. Like there's a huge amount of skills that I picked up by just being involved with the Drama Society as well, even, even though it was great fun, but there was a lot of learning in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And that's uh, unfortunately, I think, what a lot of current college students are missing out on. You yeah, know, absolutely. they're getting they're getting their college education in one way. They're getting their lectures, but they're not getting the experience, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah. Let's hope to get back there as soon as as soon as possible. Uh, Luke, we're going to move on. Um, this next piece of music is a song of yours, and it's a song of yours as an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's we've moved on about 20 years from six year old Luke in the studio. Uh, this is called Dancing Lucy. Do you want to tell us a bit about it? 
So Lucy was this girl that I... No. <laughs> she oh, was fictional. I, w- I, w- I wish that was the truth then. <laughs> I was about to go, oh my God, he also wrote Telescope Love about her. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, go back to episode one, folks, if you want to hear the story about Telescope Love. Go on, Luke, anyway. Um, Dancing Lucy, uh, I can't even honestly remember where it came from. Ah, I, here we go again, Rory. I, I can't remember where it came <laughs> from. Yeah, 100%. I, th- I think I was just, I, I was slaving away on the till in Supervalue one day and parts of it started going around in my head and there was a bit of a lyric knocking around and it just got fleshed out and and um, and developed from there. Um, I A lot of the song writers that I like to listen to are songwriters that tell stories. Songs that that just talk about like, oh, my feelings and my love and I feel this and they really do shag all for me. Like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the time. I, I like a song that sets up, I don't know whether it's kind of the theatre background in me, but I like a song that sets up characters. And I think it's a really amazing thing when you can set up characters in a song and establish a relationship and tell a story that is completely self-contained but also has so many layers that that people feel like they know far more of the story than you've told them just because you've given them the most important bits to really give them an impression of everything else and I really like that when you think about it like you know a movie can set up to tell a story in in in, in 2 hours and that's fine like that's that's another art form, but I really love songs that can tell an amazing story in three, four minutes. I think that's great. So that's kind of what I write, probably just because it's what I like to listen to. So Dance and Lucy is just a character um, and the song is just a story and there's no, I have no emotional connection to it uh, or anything like that. It's just, it's another kind of story with characters that I've written um, and that's that's where it came from. Okay, lovely. Here's Dancing Lucy by Luke Devaney. Down at Christie's Corner Shop Across the road from the motel stop Dancing Lucy works there every day She can dance like no one can The checkout stand was not her plan But still she's got to make ends meet some way Now a cashier's wage won't pay the bills When your happiness comes in small white pills With a kid to feed and a weekly rent to pay So at night time when her kids asleep She dances down on Easy Street In a strip club they call Willie's Cabaret Dancing Lucy, look my way I look yours almost every day A shy hello is all you have to say Dancing Lucy, give me a smile Dance, Lucy, dance my blues away. 
Christie store I walk in through that same green door For a rock bun and my pack of cigarettes Lucy, she won't look at me Shallow man is all she sees With bloodshot eyes and alcohol regrets When I'm lonely and I'm feeling down Well, I get drunk and I paint the town In colors that Picasso never found Oh, and I end up down on Easy Street In a worn-out, jaded velvet seat To watch her dance until the lights go down Dancing Lucy, look my way I look yours almost every day A shy hello is all you have to say Oh, dancing Lucy, give me a smile And make this living worth my while Dancing Lucy, dance my blues away Dancing Lucy, look my way I look yours almost every day A shy hello is all you ever have to say And I'd be yours if you'd be mine I'd dance with you till the end of time Dancing Lucy, dance my blues away Fabulous, man. That's so good. The dis- your Thank ability you. to describe things is incredible, man. Like a worn down, ve- I find myself down on Easy Street in a worn down velvet seat or a, something. A worn out jaded velvet seat. Oh, man, that's sick. And what's the, the other line at the very, very start? Something along the lines of happiness. What's the line that comes before happiness comes from small white pills? Uh, yeah. Cashier's wage won't pay the bills. Yeah. Oh, man. Unreal. Top drawer, Luke. So Thank good, you. man. Fair Thank play. Uh, it's I, I, it's a really strange experience. I haven't shared those recordings publicly yet. Like I've kind of been working up to releasing an album and it's a really strange experience to sit and watch people listening to those recordings because I, I think in a weird way I still feel quite insecure about them. Like sharing them makes me... <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's only Rory and I that's going to hear this, Luke. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry about <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luke, did you play everything on that track? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. And all the BVs and all mm-hmm. that, the whole, whole lot. Mm-hmm. And mixed it and post-processed it and whatever. I did, yes. Unreal. So. <laughs> that's a, that's a, surely um, proof of a combination of talents there when you can just, just do the whole lot. Come here, look, lads. What are you doing today? Oh, I'm playing football. What are you doing? I'm actually just going to record an album. Oh, who are you doing that with? Entirely on my own, actually, to be honest. <laughs> I think, I think though, that my ability to do that is something that has allowed me to kind of be successful doing the studio thing. Sure. Because... Especially like we'll say with the country and Irish stuff or or whatever, like I have, I have all the instruments to do that, you know, so I can take somebody in and if they were just a singer, then I can build up their track for them from scratch and 
they don't have to pay a session musician for guitar and a session musician for drums and, and then the studio and then their engineer. I'm I'm here either way, like as an engineer or if I'm playing while it's recording, I'm still here for the same amount of time. So um, it's they're just paying me for my time and they're they're saving money by not having to, to pay for a load of session musicians. So I think it works in my favor that way. The... I think the biggest downside to having gone into learning all of the instruments or kind of getting into all the instruments is that I haven't actually mastered any one particular thing. You know, I I can play a, a lot of things okay, but I wouldn't say that I'm really shit hot on on any one particular thing. So it's it's a funny one like that. Like I you I would worry about becoming a tech guy or the tech guy or the guy that everybody goes to for recording stuff and kind of slowly not becoming a musician anymore. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that was a question I was getting to Luke, the relationship between Luke, the producer and Luke, the player. Um, One thing that struck me, you know, you've said it twice now about how, you feel, you know, that you you haven't necessarily mastered an instrument or, or you play a lot of instruments fairly well, but none amazingly well. P- listening to you as a player, what I always feel is the, the what you pick to play is always so good. Okay, there might be other people that can play faster um, or play in more keys or, or whatever it is, however it is that you measure them being better players than you are. But that isn't everything in music. Mm. You know, Part of it is picking the right thing to play. And and I think that's something you do very well. It's it, it's again probably down to your ear, which we've spoken about, you know, already um in, in detail. But but that's certainly a talent I would see in you. I think I think a lot of that is also coming in from the studio side of things because for such a long time when I was sitting at home as a teenager recording stuff myself, it, it wasn't original stuff. I just, whatever particular song I had a buzz for at that moment, I would go and record it. I'd try and recreate the sounds and I'd be dissecting it going, how did they make that sound like that? Like I know it's drums, but my drum kit doesn't sound like that. How do I make it sound like that? And in doing that, I was picking apart these arrangements of probably some of the most successful songs that have have ever been recorded, you know? So... I, I think all that time of picking apart arrangements had to rub off in some way. And even now as a producer, a, a lot of my job involves, you know, you might get a band in who are used to rocking out live or whatever, but the studio just requires a different kind of discipline. Okay, I know you usually play this part with two guitars, live guys, but why don't you just use one guitar now so that your song has somewhere to build to in the second verse? And, you know, trying to talk people into just being disciplined with what they play or, you know, where you've done five drum fills there, maybe just do two during the next pass of the song. So I think thinking that way in the studio leaves me thinking that way when I'm playing live a lot as well. I'd be very conscious of, no, I don't play yet, come in later or or don't play now because that person is doing something else or fall back to chords now. I think that's always in my head, but I think it's it's a, it's a hangover from the studio side of things. Luke, I want to take you back two episodes to Rory's episode. And mm-hmm. uh, Rory sang, I uh, provided a piano track for 
uh, our new arrangement, I guess, of Hosier's movement. But you took it, you took it to a whole new level with what, in my opinion, with what you did after that. So you get a piano track, you get a vocal track, um, a great vocal, but then you have to decide what you're going to do with the track. And I'd encourage people maybe at this point to pause the podcast, uh, go onto our YouTube channel, check out Rory Maitland Movement, have a listen to it and and come back to the podcast. And and I'd just like to hear Luke's answer as to where do these decisions come from or where does this, where does the idea for this string arrangement come or where does the idea of the organ come or the, or the electric guitar, the particular guitar you picked how does all that work in your head when you're when you're producing a track? And we'll just take this track as an example. Sometimes you sit down with a really, really clear cut idea of what you have in your head and you do it and it works, job done. And sometimes you sit down with a really clear cut idea of what you have in your head and the second you try and do it out loud, you realise, no, actually it doesn't work. Um, and sometimes you sit down with no idea in your head and you just make noises until you hear something <laughs> that kind of sounds like... There's something there that's not quite it, but there's something there. So let's go down that road. I didn't. I I think what what I had originally set out to do with um with Rory's track wasn't quite a string arrangement as such. Like I had an idea for a synthy thing, and I had an idea for a, a drummy thing that never ended up on there. But as I was exploring the synthy thing. Um, I was going to put a bass on it as well at some point, but as I was exploring the synthy thing, I just kind of started thinking, no, this doesn't sound right. It sounds too synth. It sounds too false. Whereas Rory's great vocal and your piano track sounded very honest and acoustic and natural. So the synthy thing wasn't working. So then I switched the lines that I was trying out with the synthy thing to strings. And then... When I was going down the strings road, I thought, well, let's not put a bass on it. Let's put um, a low kind of bow, double bassy strings layer. And then once I started going down that road, it gets easier because you can really hear that the strings are working. And then the electric guitar was just something that I, I put in to fill that gap. And when I was doing that, I was... So what gap exactly? Can you just explain to the listeners what gap you're filling so the, with that electric guitar? There was a gap where Rory's um, vocal came out and, and there was just this little intr- instrumental just on the last passage, chorus. Just, yeah. just just before the last chorus. Yeah. And I thought something needs to go in there. And um, the way that uh, the track had been built up, it sounded a little bit like some kind of kind of big sounding Pink Floydian kind of s- stuff. It sounded like a movie, man. It was super cinematic. It was like, for me, I was like, boom, that, that's the score of a movie in my, in my head. Joe. Yeah, it did kind of go that way. And the strings certainly, the, the instruments that were on it, and especially the strings help it go. But the, the guitar was just a, a last little uh, flourish and stick a load of reverb on it. And there wasn't that much thought went into that. Like at that point, I was, I was rolling and decisions are easy to make when, when, when you get rolling. Sometimes it's just the getting started. That's the hard okay. part. Tell us about the organ. So there's an organ right in the background, is that right? There's an organ, there's actually two organs on it. There's a really, really subtle organ right in the background. And then further on in the song, when when he gets into the kind of, when Roy gets into the bridgey bit, there's another organ that comes in a bit more dominantly. I actually really like playing organ because I find it, I think actually, I think accordion lets me play organ yes. better than if I was uh, coming off a piano. 
because the, with the with the accordion you have held notes and and sustained notes that you can sustain for an infinite amount of time, and the organ is the same thing. So I really enjoy playing organ, and you'd probably hear organ on a lot of my original stuff that I record. We heard it there on Dancing Lucy for exactly. sure. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but tell us, can you just explain again to us and the listeners what the purpose of the organ was? Why the organ? So, um, in the first verse, we had just piano and vocals. And then I wanted to bring something else in. We had a dark, really low strings under the first chorus and I wanted to drop them out during the second verse, but not drop back, drop back to what we had in the first verse so that you're, you know, I, sometimes I describe it as steps up and steps down, but never quite going back to the bottom step All the way down, that you yeah. start on. Like you're kind of coming, you're kind of start down low and then you go up two steps for your first course but then you come back down one step for your second verse so that back down one step there was just that little subtle organ in there to just say we're still kind of overall going up the way the overall trend is up but we are coming back down a little bit for this part and you mightn't even hear the organ in there but it it's a subconscious thing like you just know that it sounds different even if you can't put your finger on exactly why it's different Brilliant, brilliant. That's, yeah, a, that's a great so good. Yeah, it's a great explanation. That's Rory Maitland Movement, if you want to go check it out on the YouTube channel, folks. With a fantastic video that Rory and uh, and his brother shot to boot as well. That's right, indeed. Mm-hmm. We better give Drew the shout out there. <laughs> um, Luke, so what's your life like now? You know, we've you're obviously uh, a busy man with your studio out in Grange. Pre-pandemic, you, you seem to be gigging plenty. What what how are things for you and is there anything you wish you were doing more of less of where do you stand age 27 after all this musical history um like overall I'm really content like I am so happy with where I'm at in life and I know I've, I think I've mentioned this in the pod I can't remember exactly what episode we talked about it in but you know sometimes you get the like oh geez you're wasted around here why don't you go off to Dublin or why don't you go to London or, and like the simple answer is because I'm happy hmm I am yeah. so content and happy doing what I'm doing here. I, you know, pandemic aside, I'm making a solid living doing stuff that I really, really enjoy. I'm constantly fulfilled. The music scene in here in Sligo was great. The theatre the theater scene is great. Um, I don't think there's any other town this size that fosters as much musical energy as Sligo does. And I think that's a big part of the, certainly in Ireland anyway, and I think that's a big part of the reason that I've got away with setting up a successful studio here. Because to be fair, setting up a recording studio is a risky, you know, it's a fairly out out on a limb kind of a thing to do. Um, But it works for me here. It, It works really, really well. And it works on a lot of different levels as well. There's people that are just doing, coming in and recording songs as a hobby and there's people that are doing it for professional releases and it, it's all it's all enjoyable to me. Um, the pandemic has obviously been harsh on me as it has been harsh on you, Kieran, and, and harsh on Rory with his barbershop and, you know, it's, it's hit all three of us very hard. Um, the studio's been closed more than it's been open the last year, which is yeah. a bit depressing because it wasn't, I'm in my new studio. I'm in my second studio. I had an old studio in the house and the new studio wasn't open only six months before it had to close because of the the pandemic. And then 
we're not playing and I really missed that I think I'd actually pay a stupid amount of money I, I'd probably pay a four figure sum right now if you told me that I could have one night to sit down in a circle in a pub with pints and bacon fries and, and tunes <laughs> and just play and just let me in there all night and lock the doors and COVID is not mentioned I, I would pay I would pay the price of a, a holiday to Disneyland to do that yeah, right now for sure man um, so, so, so I really missed that um, and in the, you know if I could just get back to that if I could get back playing a little bit I, I'd be content you know I, there are, there's a bigger picture and we have to see the pandemic thing through and you know I understand the importance of seeing it through and why things are the way they are but it doesn't mean it's not incredibly frustrating it doesn't mean you don't really really miss that you know yeah absolutely well look luke um you're helping you're helping myself and rory and i'm sure a lot of others get through the pandemic with 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 everything you've been doing and so look thank you for being the final guest in this little lamplight mini series uh, how how was that experience for you it was strange. That actually went by really, really quickly. It goes by so much quicker when you're on this side of it than, <laughs> than when you're asking the questions. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. But that was interesting. Really interesting. Really interesting the stuff you came up with. And um, don't worry, I'll find I'll find an opportunity to, to hit back. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long road ahead of us. For sure. Yeah, Luke, thanks a million, man. Fair play to you guys. Days. Um, no, I don't talk about it much these days. Like, Dad is the reason we all did it, like, because that he came up playing music. And I'm thinking, is it I who did something wrong? So from saying yes to looking after my grandmother, I got one of the greatest passions that I've ever had in my life. It was just, it was an incredible place to be, just so vibrant. So you are, you know, the closest thing we have to a rock star. Lockdown, I'm bored with it now. I'm fucking bored with yeah. it. I wish it would go and f*** yeah. off. <laughs> we here at in the lamplight would like to unreservedly apologise <laughs> that's beautiful the two of you beautiful <laughs> that's great now lads that's a heap of people that will never ever come on our podcast now um, right I, 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 I have a competition this is between Sinead and Luke but then she hit a fake high C he's a man with a huge soul and a bigger heart <laughs> Luke's happy about it by the sounds oh wow lads how good was that is this um is this a trick question? You are very welcome to the podcast. It is. What about you and that handsome lamplighter? So, lads, I want to just talk uh, to you about one more thing before we finish up. Uh, Not a Theme Night Part 1 went out last Friday. Uh, as I mentioned on the show last week, the three of us had uh, a lot of work. Three of us had a lot of input into it. A lot of work went into it. A lot of watching the show. A lot of tweaking this, tweaking that. How was it to sit down and watch it in the Enfy? Yeah, great, man. I I loved it. I, like it's one of it's one of those things that you I don't know you start like when we started to cut that project and Luke's mixes were coming in and we were starting to send over stuff for review to you. You know, you you tend to as you watch something constantly, you tend to like it just becomes such a normal thing. You know, you go right, that's that video, send it out. But when you sit down and watch it, you get reminded that you were part of a team to put together a show. It's not like, you know, we cut things up into individual songs and even mo individual moments in songs that we need to change. So it loses its feeling for a little while of being a show and a, something to be really proud of. But so when I got to sit down and watch it myself and Drew, uh, my brother, who was part of the team that shot it, 
And when we got to sit down and, and crack open a beer and, and watch the show, I, I I was probably a little bit kind of like, I don't know, emotional or something. I was a bit like, Jesus, that's class. It's great to have it out. It's great for people to be seeing it, you know. So, yeah, I loved it. And what was different, Rory, to sitting down and watching it last Friday with Drew to, say, sitting down and watching it a week previously when you were analysing what needed to be changed? Um, respect all you can do about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think, I think uh, well, Drew actually brought it up is the fact that you're now, even though you're not sitting beside people, you're now, whether you like it or not, sharing it with people. Yeah. So you know that the, the people who have bought their tickets are at relative, because like, I think most of the viewership happened at the launch of, of the show, you know, like if there is an option for viewers to, to buy it later and watch it at a later time, but most of the viewership happened as it launched. So we were aware of that, you know, and we were aware that people were, were watching the show and then, you know, I suppose what happens after that is you, you immediately go to Facebook. I'm trying not to do as much of this, but I do immediately. What are, what are people saying? Comment wise, straight to Kieran Quinn's Facebook page yeah. to see what people are saying. You know, like so. There's a buzz, and there was a there was a buzz in our house on on Friday when it was just like the, the show was going. And I I remember plugging in the laptop, and I was like, oh frig, I forgot that like the world is about to just. Watch. I got a whole kind of like. Oh God, right. The show's going. I got a little bit nervous. Yeah. And the show was out. I was proud. So I got all like, like the feelings that you get from a live show. So it was brilliant. It was lovely. Like, great, great. How about yourself, Luke? Um, yeah. I, what Rory said, like, it's the knowledge that other people are now watching it as well. So you get a little bit of a buzz from that. And I had seen a fair amount of the, the video content and I'd heard all of the audio content. But when I actually sat down to watch it, I sat, sat down to watch it with other people who hadn't seen anything. So there was still um, a novelty for me in watching them react to it for the very first time, even if I was really familiar with, you know, 90% of it already. But it is is—it is just the knowledge that other people are are watching it as well. And then, you know, it's, it's nice, like, you, you don't do it for pat on the back you do it because you want to and you do it because it's work and but it is nice when somebody texts you to say I watched that tonight and I just wanted to text you and let you know that I thought you did a really good job you know it's it is it is nice and affirming to get those kind of texts so I suppose that's that's a nice part of the evening as well I wholeheartedly do it for the texts like I, uh, <laughs> I do it for the texts and the comments. Honesty from Rory, good man, Rory. Yeah, it was it was lovely. It was. Uh, I suppose we're also used to performing to people, mm. and that's what uh, that's what gets us going, and that's so that's part of the reason why we're in the jobs we're in. And so you certainly had that feeling on Friday compared to, as I said, the previous Friday when I was sitting down to watch it, watch, you know, the second pass at it to see what I thought of it. Uh, I really got the the feeling from people that they're just mad to be back at a gig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know, they're just mm-hmm. mad to be in the Hawksville watching a gig. And, and do you know, it just made me feel, ah, uh, look, no more than what you said, Luke, with your with your trip to Disneyland and what what you give to, for a night to sit and play with other people yeah. in front of other people. I'd and pay to play the gig. Yeah. Like, yeah. What about, yeah. about the audience coming in? I'd pay to stand yeah. on the stage and play yeah. the gig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, it is it is going to happen, and when it happens, who knows? It's just going to be Holy. the mother and father of all parties. It's going to yeah. be some bomb. It's just um, going to be just like a bomb of like the roaring energy. 20s is coming. Emotion. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be yeah. amazing. 
Anyway, uh, part two of Not A Theme Night is out this coming Friday. If you haven't seen part one, you can still buy tickets uh, on the Hawkswell Theatre's website, www.hawkswell.com. You can watch it in your own time. Part two premieres this Friday, but why not buy part one in the meantime and, and have a look at it so you're ready and all set up for part two this weekend. Uh, folks, we have a very special guest next week in the on the podcast. And as I say, this mini series between myself, Luke and Rory is now over. And next week, our guest is Leo Moran of the Saw Doctors. Uh, and we are really, really looking forward to having Leo on the show. I've always been a huge Saw Doctors fan, actually. Uh, my brother was massive into them when we were kids, and I got to know them through him, but they've stayed with me. They really have throughout my life. And so it's going to be a great buzz to have Leo Moran on the show, folks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, really looking forward to that chat. In the meantime, let me just mention our email list, folks. Uh, if you subscribe to our email, you'll, you'll, our email list, you will get an email first thing on a Wednesday morning uh, with all the details of the new show out. You will also get first look at the featured performance of that week before it is advertised on social media. Uh, all in the Lamplight News available first to our email subscribers. So you'll find that list on our, our website, www.lamplightpod.com. So we're going to close the show with a song from Not A Theme Night. It was part of part one last week. It's another original song of Luke's and it certainly fits the bill of storytelling, which you spoke about earlier, Luke. No, this one's you... actually a true story. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Wrote, I wrote this about my first-hand experiences of the American Wild West in the second half <laughs> of the outlaw century. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, man, Good, man. Brilliant. Well, this is... Uh, you introduce it, Luke, just, just to see us out. Okay. This is a song called The Ballad of Puss in Boots. And it came to me uh, via a songwriting circle I used to take part of. We used to have a word or a phrase each week, each month that we had to write on or that we could write on just for a bit of inspiration. And uh, there was one month that the the word was boot. And I just, in my head, I had puss in boots, puss in boots, puss in boots, why the feck can't I think of anything else with boot? Uh, I just got I got stuck on puss and boots. So uh, I had to go with that. And uh, this was the result. The Ballad of Puss and Boots. In 1800... In 52, there lived an outlaw man, they called him Puss in Boots, a real rough cat, despite what his name might suggest. He made some men cry, he made more men bleed, they was all scared of him, but they all agreed that when it came to shooting, well, old Puss was the best. Well, Puss ran the range and he ran it with pride With his trusty boots and his Remington side And his whiskers just a little bit longer than the arm of the law And he knocked off coaches and he cleared out banks He never said please, but he always said thanks And man, that was just Puss a quick wit and a quicker draw Puss played the game and he played it hard But he never scratched in his own backyard Until in 69 he felt that collar tightening in 
So we made to get out while the getting was good. Maybe move down south, find a place in the woods, just one more score. And then he'd pack it all in. Well, Puss stuck up a bank and the heat poured on And the gunfire rang out from dusk till dawn Till Puss ran out of bullets So he pulled off his boots And he threw them at Hank the Sheriff And hit him square in the eye Grabbed the cash in his boots It was time to fly And Hank swore he'd get that Puss and his damn boots down south and he built him a home and a quiet little place in New Mexico. He got a dog for some company and he named him Gus. Oh, Hank kept searching with his one good eye. He'd keep on searching till the day he died or till he found that man in boots that they called Gus. Well, Hank found Puss in 85, and as the West knew Puss, he'd never take him alive. So he marched up and banged on his door with an old tin can. He said, I've only got one eye, but you've got nowhere to hide. There's no cheating this time, leave your boots inside. Come on out here and face me down like a man. Well, the door creaked open high noon sun and Puss stepped outside with his Remington gun and his bare toes showing through his socks where his boots used to be. He said, I've done a lot of things that I'm not proud of, but I've made my peace with the devil above. So now, old Hank, old pal, it's just you and me. With a twitch in the eye and a flick of the wrist, both men drew until Puss bit the dust And the guns and the man went mute With one last breath Puss took his rest With holes in his socks And a hole in his chest And man That was the end of Puss Just Puss